Welcome to the Fisher and Phillips Wage Hour podcast. This is a podcast that explores questions and ideas associated with employers' desire to pay their employees properly. I am Haygood Ty, and I have the pleasure of serving as the co-chair of the Fisher and Phillips Wage and Hour Practice Group. And today I'm joined by two of our other Wage and Hour lawyers from other parts of the country. One is Catherine Morissette. Catherine is in our Seattle office. She works uh, with quite a few different laws, but spends a lot of her time focusing on wage and hour issues, many of which are unique to her state. We're also joined by Arielle Kelly, and Arielle is also very active with our wage and hour practice group and is based in Nashville, uh, but her practice requires her to keep up with local state and local wage and hour issues in other parts of the country as well. And we're going to hear a little bit more about that as we go through our conversation today. So recently, Catherine and Ariel did a uh, presentation for the public as part of one of our webcast series that focused on the fact that employers need to look beyond the federal law, beyond the Federal Fair Labor Standards Act, we refer to that as the FLSA, or sometimes you'll hear, hear people call it FLISA or something like that. And, um, and, and they pointed out that we really as employers need to look beyond the federal law. And so Catherine, when we start thinking about laws that go beyond the federal wage and hour laws, what would you say are the top three mistakes that you see companies make when they fail to focus on state or local compliance? I love this question. I love it when I get it from a national employer, from a local employer, when somebody is deciding to open Washington operations and I tell them welcome with a little bit tongue in cheek. But the three big areas that I see trip up folks are meal and rest period compliance because those rules don't exist under federal law and they vary widely by state including when you have to take them and for how long so washington isn't the same as california for example and so folks who may be used to compliance in one state are going to struggle in the other the next one is assuming that overtime exemptions remember the default rule is everybody gets overtime unless we can prove the exemption two-step which is the salary basis is met and also the duties test assuming that that's the same under the state law as it is under federal law and the third one is it's not realizing that the penalty provisions or the potential bad things that can happen to you may vary greatly between federal and state law. So an example there is in Washington, the statute of limitations is three years, it's not two. We have nearly an automatic double damages penalty and prejudgment interest at 12%. So it can be a really costly mistake to not get something right. Well, Catherine, gosh, thank you so much. That it sounds like if an employer makes one of these mistakes, it could be really expensive. And as a result of that, we may want to think, what should we be doing? What sort of proactive steps should we take to minimize that risk? Ariel, can you give us some suggestions there? Sure. When considering these concepts, employers usually have a lot of business considerations that they must take into account and to make an appropriate decision um, sometimes have it conducting an audit is a helpful tool. 
So really look at the employee's job descriptions and analyzing what it is they're doing and making sure they're appropriately paid. And once they have that information, educating their HR people on these concepts like meal and rest periods so that everybody's um, fully understanding the compliance that needs to happen and giving them tools in order to make sure accomplish that. And after that, drafting any applicable policies as common issues arise. And other business considerations, if it's appropriate for um, the situation, a, a common example is seeing if there's any timekeeping technology or any other technology that'll help the business um, further align with their compliance efforts. Well, that, that's a great point. I mean, technology is so helpful to human resources professionals these days to help ensure that they are complying. Now, so far, most of our discussion today has focused on state law compliance, but are there even more local laws that we need to concern ourselves about, Catherine? What a loaded question, Hayden. <laughs> so, um, yes, there could be something at the county level or city level. I live in one of those great cities, Seattle, which has yet another layer, for example, of minimum wage compliance. So there are many cities across the United States that have a higher minimum wage even than uh, the state minimum wage, which may be higher than the federal minimum wage, and Seattle's one of them. Um, and so you need to look at where your employees are predominantly working to figure out that test. By the way, that can be a fairly complex jurisdictional analysis. Well, probably you're going to need a lawyer, um, but absolutely you need to be thoughtful of where the employee is performing the work to make sure you don't trip up with one of the gotchas uh, on a city level. Some of those are in California too, right, Ariel? Yes, I was just about to add, we can't talk about this topic without talking about the great state of California with all of its locales and counties and cities that have minimum wages that are higher than the federal minimum wage. Um, it's too many to count on both of your hands. So you just wanna make sure you're mindful, as you already said, Catherine, of where the employee is predominantly working so that you make sure you're in compliance with all of that. But even to add another level, um, in addition to the local minimum wages. There are also industry-specific minimum wages. Um, I know in New York City, there's a large fast food company industry-specific um, minimum wage. So you also want to be um, mindful of things like that. Oh, that's a great point. So we have another one of those in Washington. The city of SeaTac, which is where our international airport is, has a higher minimum wage for hospitality and transportation workers which is pretty broad. Um, transportation workers would include even folks who work at car rental agencies and hospitality would be anybody in the hotel. Boy, they have some sick leave laws on top of it. I just thought of another wage and hour issue. I guess that's for another podcast. Hey, good. Uh, <laughs> but it's a great point that we've got uh, industry specific uh, laws that might trip you up if you're not paying attention to that as well. Well, very interesting, you know, for employers that are operating in different states or perhaps even different local jurisdictions, there's a lot to keep up with here. And so for those of you who are listening, I want to mention a couple of resources that may be helpful to you. One is, is that we have a number of state law wage and hour maps on our website at fisherphillips.com, and that's on the wage and hour page. 
and many of those are free. Our firm also has what we call FP Navigate, and this is a subscription-based service that provides much more detailed information, both of state and local laws of the types we've been talking about here today. So if you're a company that operates in different jurisdictions and you want to be sure you're keeping up with that, this may be a good opportunity for you. And finally, of course, you can call Catherine or Ariel anytime you've got a question about any of these issues that we've talked about or others that are related, and I am sure that they will be happy to help you. I want to thank both of my guests for being on here today and thank you for listening. And we hope you stay safe and stay well. Thank you again. Bye. This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation. 